Well, good morning, Public Church. It is an honor to be back with you. I don't know how long all of y'all have been around, but I got to come hang in 2021. Is that right? Pandemic has thrown off all sense of time, but uh, excited to be back, honored to be here. Uh, me and my wife, Emily, love Pastor Todd and Whitney so much and just think the world of you, this church, your family, uh, it means so much. You are an inspiration to me and Emily and we are grateful to call y'all friends. I'm excited to dive into the word today. Thank you for giving me uh, a bit of your time. Uh, me and Emily, we're, we're, we're figuring things out because yesterday we were, well, Friday morning, we were in Atlanta. By Friday at lunchtime, we were in Nashville. Uh, yesterday at 6 p.m., we were in Nashville, and then at 9 p.m., we were back in Atlanta, and now I'm back in Tennessee, and so <laughs> there's some things going on, but uh, God is good, amen, all the time, and so uh, we're, we're having fun. We've been married three and a half years now uh, in the books and excited about that. This year for our anniversary, we, we went out to see something that we wanted to see for a long time. We went to see the Grand Canyon. Anyone been out there to see the Grand Canyon? Beautiful, amazing, thought it was great. Uh, we had never been, and so we wanted to go for a while. And so we made these plans, and we went out. Uh, this is back in May, and so we were, we're over there, and we're staying in Nevada, but we have to do the drive to Arizona, and so I get a, a rental car, and we're, we're heading out to see the Grand Canyon, but as we were making our way there, you're starting to see the geography change, kind of, right? You're starting to see some things, and I'm, I'm looking, and I'm wondering, I'm like, is that the Grand Canyon over there? Is that the Grand Canyon over there? I'm trying to find where is the Grand Canyon. You see some things. I'm like, I, I hope that's not it, because it's... <laughs> It's not very grand. I don't know. It's like a medium canyon. Maybe like I'm just, I'm looking for it. Can't seem to find it. Uh, we, we pull into the parking lot and uh, we're, we're, we're looking and I'm like, I, I don't know. Maybe this was a bad idea. And we weren't just going to see the Grand Canyon because uh, I have some trauma. And a few years before, I was trying to see the Grand Canyon uh, with some friends and they were like, let's go. And I was like, cool, I'm going to go change real quick. And when I went to change, I came back out and they had all left me and gone to the Grand Canyon themselves. And so I was like, I'm going to one up them. Emily, we're not just going to see the Grand Canyon. We are going to take a helicopter helicopter into the Grand Canyon, okay? So this is something you can do uh, if you want to empty out your bank account. This is something you can do one time, and it, it was the third year anniversary, so I was like, Let, let's go out for it. And so uh, we, we, we go, and we, we pull into the parking lot, and I'm like, I don't know. We're going to be in this helicopter a while because I don't see uh, any canyon. And if it was that grand, I'm sure I would have seen it. And we, we get into the helicopter, and we go up, and about uh, 22 seconds into the ride, the ground opens up, drops down 3,200 feet into the earth, and we are in suddenly, immediately, the Grand Canyon. It was awesome. It was incredible. Uh, we, we flew down. I'm trying to catch my breath. I'm terrified. We, we land. I didn't know what to do. I got out the helicopter and started playing, our God's an awesome God, because you just got to worship. Like, it was... <laughs> insane. We're taking pictures, all these things. And it, it dawned on me that it was interesting that uh, the place that I was trying to go, the place that I wanted to, to get to, I was already there, but I didn't have the discernment to realize that I had already arrived. 
And if you're taking notes this morning, what I want to talk about is this idea that you are already there. You're already there. Say that to someone next to you. Just, just tell them you're, you're already there. What, what I want to do this morning is I know a lot of us, even as it comes to the end of the year, are trying to get some place, trying to accomplish something, trying to feel some way, and my hypothesis is that it could be that you are already where you are trying to go, but you simply lack the discernment to realize you've already arrived. If you have a copy of scripture, we're going to be in the fourth or the third gospel of Luke uh, chapter 7, verses 1 and 1 through 10. This is one of my favorite stories, and then we're going to jump over to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 4 through 10. So Luke chapter 7, and you can use physical Bibles if you have one of those. You can use uh, your iPhones, you can use your iPads, you can use your eyeballs. It's on the screens here. So Luke chapter 7, and then we'll jump over to Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, Now when he, he being Jesus, concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered the city of Capernaum, and there was a certain centurion servant, a centurion was a Roman soldier, over 100 soldiers, right? There was a certain centurion servant who was dear to him, who was sick and was about to die. But when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to Jesus, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one of whom he should do this was deserving, for, quote, he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue, end quote. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I, I didn't even think myself worthy to come to you, but if you say the word, my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, and those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. Beautiful story. Here's what Paul says, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Uh, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace that you've been saved. And he raised us up together and seated us together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. Some translations would say we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Pray with me, and we'll get started. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for who you are. Thank you 
for the power of your word. Uh, thank you for your spirit. I would ask you to come and move, but you're already doing that. So just continue to do what it is you're doing. We're, we're behind you. We're, we're following you. We're, we're, we're in awe of you, Jesus. I'm asking that you would save those who need saving in this place, that you would heal those who need healing, that you would set those free who need freedom. Above all, Jesus, that you would be glorified. Your word says if you're lifted up, you will draw all men unto you. And so I'm asking you to do that now in this place. Stand with me and strengthen me that I might preach this message fully, boldly, how you've given it to me. We love you. Uh, we trust you. Holy Spirit, move us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. What Paul uh, pens to the church in Ephesus that we just read in Ephesians chapter 2 was accomplished or made possible by what Jesus, the Son of God, did on the cross for us. If you kept reading, it would say that in verse 13, but now it is in Christ Jesus that you who once were far off have been brought near, how? By the blood of Christ. But, but I think in a way that that passage is demonstrated or, or illustrated by what Jesus does for this centurion servant in Luke chapter 7. Because in that narrative, you have someone who's dead, someone who's at the, the point of death, but they are brought back to life by the word, by, by the authority of Jesus. And their life now is a testimony of his grace and his kindness. And our gospel is that that grace can be experienced by anyone if they put their faith, their trust in Jesus. Not just in Jesus as Savior, but also Jesus as Lord. Put their faith in Jesus' authority. That this is what it means to be saved. But neither the work of grace nor the gift of faith were meant to change our eternal location while doing nothing for our present reality. And what I want this morning for public church is I want our faith to rise that we might make Jesus marvel at how much we trust him at how good we believe him to be at how loving and holy we think he is. I to have faith that makes no sense, that Jesus looks at and he says, Gabriel, come look at this. Look at how much they trust me. Look at how much they are dependent on me. Nothing in their circumstance says they should. Michael, are you catching this? Like, like, do you see how much faith they have? I am blown away. I call this, uh, I have this friend named Corey, and I call this Corey faith because Corey is an avid Atlanta sports fan. Doesn't matter what the team is, uh, whether it's the Braves, whether it's the Hawks, the Falcons, we lost our hockey team a few years ago, uh, the Georgia Bulldogs, it, it doesn't matter for Corey. Uh, if one of his teams is playing, they're going to win. I don't, you have to understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that he thinks they're going to win or, or that he simply believes they're going to win. For Corey, he knows in his heart that the Falcons are going to win. That doesn't matter who they're playing against. Could be Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelly, all of them. He thinks, like our quarterback changes every two weeks. Doesn't matter for him. <laughs> he believes that the Falcons have it. It doesn't matter who Trey Young is going up against. For, for, for Corey, he, in his heart of hearts, like, like it's crazy. And it's not just other sports. It's he himself. Like, like Corey, Corey's gotten a bit older, right? And uh, Corey still thinks that he is the fastest person in our office. Some of our people have run on the UGA track team, and he will legit be like, let's go, coming in the parking lot. Like, like if you think... 
if you think you can do it, let's do it. I'm like, Corey, what, where, where does this come from? For Corey, it does not matter. It's not just that he's hoping. He just believes. He has such faith. It makes no sense, which is true faith. Because uh, what, what Hebrews would tell us is faith is hope in what we cannot see. And that's the kind of faith that I think God is looking for. That's the kind of faith that causes Jesus to marvel. And I just really believe that 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 kind of faith, which is really nothing more than an awareness of our spiritual reality for those of us who've put our trust in him, blesses Jesus. Not, Not because he has some inflated ego, but because when we realize that in Jesus, we don't have to strive when we realize in Jesus we don't have to fear men, when we realize in Jesus we don't have to be the victim, when we realize in Jesus we don't have to measure up to our neighbor, it's indicative of our trust in what he has already done. Like I drive intensely and effectively, that's how I'd say it, okay? Uh, not, not recklessly, not, not anything like that, but uh, I'm effective behind the wheel from getting from A to B, right? And uh, so that could mean uh, there, there's some quick lane shifts. That could mean uh, that there's some speeding up, some, some quick braking. What I love, what blesses me is me and Emily have been uh, together now, we've known each other nine years, a couple like last week was when I met you, nine years ago. Uh, well, she's driven with me in the car all over the place, and now she is no longer phased by my driving. And what blesses me at first, it would be like, ah, slow down, what are you doing? Ooh, ooh. And I was like, can you stop? Like, I know I'm, I'm a professional driver, okay? This, this is what I do. <laughs> what blesses me is now when I'm doing all that and she's just doing her makeup in the car, She'll, she'll put the thing in recline and take a nap. That blesses me because it shows me that she trusts me. She trusts me so much. She has so much faith in my ability, even though she's never been exactly on this road or in this situation with me. She has so much faith in what I've already done that it's changed her view of reality. God wants your faith in his grace to change your perspective on the reality, not just of his character, but of your life. And when you activate your faith in that way, you make the God of the universe, the God who breathed out the stars, you make him marvel. That he goes, oh my me, I cannot believe they trust me like that. And I know for me, when, when I don't see how things are, are going to work out, when the timeline isn't according to my plan, well, when there's a mess that I can't figure out how to fix, if I'm being honest, it's not faith that rises, but frustration. Frustration being a result of dashed expectations. And so the, the question I want to ask you this morning is this, and it's a, a faith-stretching question. Could it be that you are already there? Could it be that because you are seated in the heavenly places in him, you already are where you're supposed to be? You already have all that you need, what we just sang. You already are who you long to become. Already? Yes, already. That's Paul's language in Ephesians chapter 2, right? It's past tense. Verse 6, he has raised us up together. He has made us sit together in the heavenly places. Not that he's going to. He's already done it. You're already alive. 
You've already been raised. You've already been seated in the heavens. Here's the thing. Faith in Jesus is built not just by looking at what he has already done in your past, but looking at what he has already done in your future. Now, this is hard for us to understand because we understand time in a linear fashion. We experience uh, time as one event and then another event and then another event and then another event. That's not how God understands time. God sits outside of time. He's eternal. He, he understands time like this. Here's where you're born. Here's where uh, you get married. Here's where you die. I see the whole thing in the palm of my hand. So at the same time for God that he has rescued you and has redeemed you, he is rescuing you and redeeming you and will rescue you and redeem you. I know this kind of bends the mind a bit, but but because he sits outside of it, it's not something he's experiencing. It's something he's orchestrating. And the trick of living on this planet as a believer is you're not yet where you already are. You're not yet where you already are. We're not fully experiencing All that is already ours. It's called the already not yet of the kingdom. That what Jesus inaugurated on the cross is a reality, but it hasn't been fully established yet. So so you read in Romans 8 that you're already adopted in Christ, but you'll also read in Romans 8 that you are going to be adopted in Christ. You'll read that you're already redeemed in Christ in Ephesians chapter 1 and that you are not yet redeemed in Ephesians 4. You'll read that you're already sanctified in Christ and yet you are being sanctified. You'll read that you're already saved and that you will be saved. You'll read that you're already raised with Christ, but you're not yet raised with Christ. It's already true, but we don't see all of the implications of it yet. Not a contradiction, but a tension. Not a contradiction to fight, but rather a tension to manage. Because by faith in Christ, all of these spiritual blessings are ours already. But the full enjoyment of these blessings is not yet ours. This is the life of faith, the assurance of things hoped for in the future. And the conviction of things not seen in the present. This is life between the times, and this is why faith is so important. Having hope in what we cannot see allows us to bring our not yet into alignment with God's already. This is mature faith. Paul says, you are seated in the heavenlies already, even while you're seated in Cleveland, Tennessee right now. Oh, that's a cute figure of speech. No, it's not a figure of speech. It's reality. It is what is true. You, th- that's why we're singing this morning. Because you believe it's true for Jesus. No one's think- thinking who came in here and, and raised their hands and, and lifted up a shout of praise. No one's in here thinking that, you know, it's, it's a figure of speech that Jesus has raised. No, you believe he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father making intercession for you in this very moment. And because of that reality, you cannot think that is not true of you. Because it's not just that Jesus died and resurrected for you. That's not what the text teaches. It teaches that you died and resurrected with him, that you were raised with him, and you are now seated with him. And to be seated in Christ above all else is the place of absolute authority. Uh, We don't catch it all, so Paul uh, wanted this to make sense, and so he, he said a prayer 
In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, he said this, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Here's what I'm praying. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which, here it is, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places above all principality, power, might, dominion, all, all the things going on the, in this world and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. It is that context, that understanding that Paul leads with to where he comes in verse four and tells you that God who's rich in mercy of chapter two, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, ha, just like Jesus was dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, ah, just how he made Christ alive and raised us up together, ah, just as he raised Christ up and made us sit together, just as he made Christ sit, that in the ages to come, ah, just like in Ephesians 1, the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul is not saying you should try to get a seat in the heavenly places. Paul isn't saying you should get a seat in the heavenly places. Paul is saying you're seated. It is absolutely impossible for you to be in Christ without being seated where Christ is seated. And if you are in Christ, you are in this position of authority because he is in that position. To be fair, this has been abused often by the church. This is where you get name it, claim it theology, and uh, I'll have whatsoever I say, and uh, I'm in control, and I don't need to consult God. People have even weaponized this culturally, where you get to, I'm just going to manifest what I want to see in the world, and it'll all come to pass. And, and people trying to, trying to uh, usurp that authority. No, we are seated in him. That's the only way we got a seat. So he's in control. And so if it doesn't mean that, if this authority doesn't mean I have all kinds of control to do what I want, what does it mean to be already seated in Christ? I have four uh, realities that I need to make sure you understand. The first one is this. You don't have to beg God to move on your behalf. If you are already seated in Christ, you do not have to beg God to move on your behalf. Alternatively, I should say, you are not able to achieve a seat higher than the position in which God has already seated you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, uh, this context comes to us. It says, now you are we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. This is what a lot of us are struggling with. No, you, you don't understand what I've done, Camilo. You don't understand, I haven't been going to public church that long. You don't understand, I have a lot of things that I was doing, a lot of things, if I'm being honest, that I'm still doing. Okay, that's fine, because verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. God is rich in his mercy, so you don't have to beg him to move on your behalf. It's not like he only has a little bit of mercy to go around. 
Now, I have a, a friend, Pastor Todd and Whitney, you know, me and Emily, we, we like to travel, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to do all the points things and all that, uh, uh, trying to figure it out. Like one time, this is a true story, two months ago, I live in Atlanta. I drove to the uh, Chattanooga airport because it was a better deal and would get me more points. Like, like that's how I think, okay? Uh, so uh, I'm trying to do all that, and my discipler, my mentor for the past few years, he's, he's like Delta Diamond Medallion Ultra Star platinum, you know what I mean? Like, that, that's, that's him. And I'm trying to get to that level one day. And one time he, he was doing something and he had his Delta app open and I saw he had like 80 million miles or something crazy and all the things. And I was just like, bro, how, how do you do that? And he, he looked at me, looked at me right in the eyes and said, Camila, let me explain something to you. I'm rich. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. That, that makes sense. Uh, I understand now why you are there and I am not. You are rich. So, so you're not struggling to reach status. God is not struggling to show you mercy. He's rich in it. He's rich in mercy to you. So you do not have to beg him to move. Your seat, in fact, is an endorsement. Meaning you didn't sneak into heavenly places. And for some of you, you need to know too, you didn't earn your way into heavenly places. You didn't strategize your way into heavenly places. The enemy has some of you believing that you snuck in here and others believing that you earned your way here. No, God invited you to his table. There is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How can that be with all I've done, with all I'm doing? Because there is no more condemnation, Romans 8, one would say. How? Because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. Because of the richness of his mercy. You don't have to beg God to move on your behalf if you're already seated in him. Number two, you don't have to be the victim in your story. If you're already seated, you do not have to be the victim in your story. Verse 10 of Ephesians 2 says this, For we are his workmanship, or some translations, like I said, would say, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I am his masterpiece, not a victim sneaking by. In fact, your seated position would imply that you are already the victor. Having a seat in the kingdom is indicative of your status. Please note, the angels are standing right now but you are seated because you're not a, a victim here and, and you're not earning your way here. You are a guest of honor here. But unbelief will have you operating as if what people have done to you is more powerful than what Jesus has done for you. And I'm not saying there's not pain. I've been through it all. I buried my father when I was in middle school. When me and Em met, there was a season where I was homeless. Like, like, I'm not saying there isn't pain. I'm not saying there isn't an aftermath to figure out. But I'm, I am saying there is a glory. I am saying what Paul is saying here. There are good works for you to walk in. There's still an assignment on your life. You're not the victim. You're the victor if you're already seated in Christ. Number three, you don't have to compare. You don't have to compare. It would make no sense because if you look at verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, 
because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, made us alive together. Raised us up together and made us sit together. You don't need to look to your neighbor. You are all seated in him. That's the only way anyone got a seat. So I'm not comparing myself to anyone else here. Because you didn't get me my seat. And there was nothing you did to get a seat. It's all what he did for us. He made us sit together. The the enemy has some of you looking to your left, to your right, comparing yourselves to people instead of looking at the one who you are seated in. Instead of looking at your king. You, You don't have a leg up. You don't have a leg down because where you are is the gift of God, not because of you. You don't have to compare if you're already seated in Christ. You don't have to be the victim in your story if you're already seated in Christ. You don't have to beg God to move on your behalf if you're already seated in Christ. And lastly, you don't have to worry about the future if you are already seated Verse 7 says, he did all this, brought us from death to life, made us alive, raised us up, sat us in the heavenly places. Why? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. You know what in the ages to come means? It means that there's ages to come. It means that there's a, a, a place you are headed to. He seated you for the ages to come for the eternity to come. So you don't have to worry about the future. If God is still seated, you can still be seated. I said, we travel a lot. A few months ago, we were were on this trip coming back. It was a long flight. Towards the end, there was some turbulence. And we're we're good with turbulence, but this was extreme. This was intense. The one where uh, the the woman next to Emily grabbed a, a bag and started breathing in it heavy. You, you know what I'm saying? You you've been there, and uh, I I was starting to to wonder is is this it? Like how how serious is this? But I looked, and where we were seated, the flight attendant wasn't far ahead of us, and she was chilling. <laughs> Planes, rocking, dips, all this. She's on here. I don't know what she's doing, playing Candy Crush. I hope it's in airplane mode. But she's just on her phone, doing her thing, not worried. And I figured if if she does this multiple times a day, every day, and she isn't worried, why would I be worried? If she's still seated, I'm still seated. When I see her get up and panic, that's when I'll get up and panic. But if she's not panicking, I'm not panicking. If my God is still seated, I am still seated. If I'm still seated in Christ Jesus, if he's still on the throne, I'm just going to stay right here because my future is secure. This is how Jesus himself said it. John chapter 5, verse 24 and 25. He says, look, I say to you that he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Okay, that's already happened. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. Has passed, will live. 
Both my past and my future are secure. Faith in Christ secures our physical resurrection in the not yet, but faith in Christ also results in a spiritual resurrection in the already. Because faith in Jesus is built not just by looking at what he has already done in your past, but looking at what he has already done in your future. Some are thinking, okay, inspiring, but easier said than done. Like faith in Jesus, I, I've believed in Jesus for a long time. That doesn't mean this anxiety has gone away. That doesn't mean my worry has gone away. And I understand that. I, I, I'm there myself a lot of days. But I think the reason I'm there is because faith in Jesus, existence, faith in Jesus, sacrifice, faith in Jesus, love, faith in Jesus, mercy is not the same thing as faith in Jesus' authority. And I think that's the shift I want to make this morning. That faith in Jesus' authority causes you to sit in a place where you know you're seated in him. The centurion doesn't do any of those things. He starts off begging God, but then he, he calls that off. He, he doesn't play the victim in his story. He rises to the occasion. He, he, he isn't worried about the future. He's, he's securing the future. He, he isn't comparing himself to, to the Jews. Oh, they're better than me. No, he starts to move and act. Why? The, the centurion, you have to understand, he's, he's a successful individual. He's a leader. He's strong. He's, he's popular. Uh, he's, he's wealthy. He's educated. He's a philanthropist. And he has a problem. His servant who's dear to him, is sick. And nothing he's been able to accomplish, nothing he's been able to conquer is able to heal him. His, his army won't fix this. His, his rank won't fix this. His renown won't fix this. But he's heard about a Jew named Jesus, and so he leverages some influencers in the Jewish community to go and plead and beg Jesus to come, pleading and begging a carpenter. Because some of you know what, what, when you're out of options, you get desperate. This, this Roman centurion, all this prestige, pleading and begging a carpenter, and, and they come and they give Jesus a centurion's resume and say, you, you should come, and, and Jesus goes. But not because of the resume, but because of Jesus' mercy that he's rich in. But verse 6 is where the story shifts in Luke chapter 7. It says this, then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself. Hmm. When he was already close, he, he's just a couple doors down, like, like he's already made it all this way. Why are we calling him off now? Why did he send another crew telling Jesus not to come? I, I'm, the first time I'm reading this, I'm expecting them to say, hey, don't worry about coming. It's, it's too late. We, we missed the window. That, that's why I'm thinking he's telling Jesus not to come, but that's not what happened. The centurion doesn't want Jesus to come. 
because he understands something about the omnipotent, about the um, omnipresent, the, the omniscient son of God that even the, the Jews had yet to comprehend. Here's what he understood. Because of your authority, Jesus, you're already there. You're already here. I, I know. How do you know, Centurion? Who told you this? Well, the, my, my career has given me some insight into the nature of authority. The centurion had faith that when he said something, it was as good as done. That, that when he gave a command, it happened just like that. And so he says to himself, if this Jesus is who he says he is, then when he speaks, it is as good as done. And at this, Jesus stops, says, I commends the man's faith, and the servant is healed. As far as we know, this is the, the only miracle uh, in the Gospels where a person uh, experienced healing by Jesus in the absence of Jesus physically. Which gives me hope when I can't look him in the eyes. Which gives me hope when I can't reach for the hem of his garment, which gives me hope when I can't hear his voice. I can still experience his grace and his mercy by faith. In fact, you're sitting amongst evidence in this room. That, that, that's God's grace on your row. That's God's kindness you passed in the lobby. That, that, that's God's mercy that you parked next to in the lobby. The goal of the Christian walk isn't achieving something or getting somewhere. The goal is anchoring your faith in the person of Jesus because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith built not just by what Jesus has done in my past, but what Jesus has already done in my future. Faith is saying, God, you're already there. That's why we're going to worship here in just a second. God, I, I worship you. Because you're already there. You're already seated on the throne of eternity. You're already securing my future. You're already redeeming my past. You're already interceding for me right now at the right hand of the Father. You're already building your church. You're already sovereign over my story. You're already vanquishing hell and its schemes. You're already my healing. You're already my Sabbath. You're already my portion. You're already my joy. You're already my strength. You're already my victory. This is not the prosperity gospel or the poverty gospel. This is the already gospel and the gap between where you are and where you wish you were is where you activate faith in the God who is already there and because he's already there you're already there because you are in him you're already there father we we love you and we worship you and I just want to pray now for faith to rise in this place faith in overflow faith online faith in the God who's already there and so in the back of this room is a prayer corner if you're new here you can come right back here there's a lamp there's a team there who would love to pray with you if you one want to put your faith in this Jesus if you want to put your faith in under the authority of this Jesus faith in the God who's already there 
then you can go and do that. And two, for some of you, you, you have put your faith in him, but you need to put your faith in his authority. You need to put your faith in his strong arm. You need to put your faith in his right hand. Then, then the prayer corner is where I'm, I'm going to encourage you to go and pray with us. The band's going to sing. Pray with those online. Father, thank you that you're already there. Thank you that we don't have to be the, the victim in our story because you've already chosen us. Thank you that we don't have to beg you to move on our behalf because you've already removed the stone from the grave. Thank you that uh, we, we don't have to worry about the future because you hold it in your hand. Thank you that we don't have to compare to our neighbor because we are seated in you. Holy Spirit, minister now. Do what only you can do. Speak how only you can speak. Raise up our faith. Give us grace to see that you are already there. Father, we love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Holy Spirit, move. Amen. Amen.